The all-new Toyota RAV4 asks, what if? What if your ride was refined and rugged at the same time? Introducing a car that's got style and substance to spare. The all-new RAV4 Limited. Featuring a sophisticated, muscular new exterior and available options like a premium JBL audio system and panoramic roof. The all-new RAV4 Limited. Toyota. Let's go places. JBL and Clarifier registered trademarks of Harman International Industries Incorporated. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Troy Noons is an Absolute Podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Casillo, and with me today is Dan Lyons. Hey, everyone. Did anything happen this week? Do we have a reason to, to note this week? Nothing. Nothing oh, happened. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I should have thought something better, but I guess, I guess nothing's really happened recently for, for Syracuse, so we'll, we'll figure something out to talk about, I think. Well, we'll just, consider, we'll just continue being a middling program that can't beat Clemson and doesn't belong in the ACC, things like that. Yeah, really, they should. I think, I think the uh, ACC should see if they have a receipt, uh, to be honest. I, they might have lost them. I mean, if I'm Clemson, I would keep receipts in a folder that you could reference I'm, in tax season. I'm personally bad at keeping receipts. It's probably not the best uh, habit, but, you know, we can all work to get better at these things. <laughs> that was a... Uh... That was not a planned shtick, but I think it worked. Um, anyone who's listening to this knows that Syracuse beat Clemson last Friday, twenty-seven twenty-four. It was, it was good. It was really good. It was probably the second most important win of the last, maybe even first. Who knows? Of the last thirty years or so for Syracuse football, um, it was very impressive in the way it happened. The totality of the win, um, the fact that we could have won by more, um, all these things are pretty stunning, and uh, I have really seen like a, a very minimal amount of, of uh, you know, but Kelly Bryant was injured talk, because honestly, like anyone who watched the beginning of that game saw that, like, Kelly Bryant really wasn't 100% the whole game, and, and it's not like, uh, you know, Cooper did any better, so I don't really... I'm not going to take much stock in the injury excuse, and it, I'm, I'm glad to see national folks not really bothering with it either. Yeah, I think I've seen more Kelly Bryant stuff from like Syracuse fans who are trying to like make sure they put it out there, so they they you know got all the all the uh, notes right, so that it wasn't like didn't seem like we just went out there and like we're the you know better we were the better team on on Friday. I don't know that we're, we're probably not the better team overall, but it seemed like Syracuse fans were trying to catch it more with the Kelly Bryant stuff than like Clemson fans or national people. Um, but like you said, to be honest, like I, if Kelly Bryant played the whole game, I don't think it would have t- turned out differently. His numbers were marginally better than Zara Cooper's. Um, I think it could have turned out worse if he had played the whole game. <laughs> yeah, he probably wouldn't have. Well, he wasn't going to get better as the game went along. Like he wasn't, you know, going to do that whole thing. He was getting pit repeatedly. Um, Syracuse only put on more pressure after he left the game, even though Cooper was most likely more mobile than Bryant. Like basically, there, there was on the first or second drive. For Clemson, um, Brian rolled right, and it like looked like he was in a double try to scramble for like a pretty easy first down conversion, and he stopped like a good yard short and just like let someone bump him out of bounds. And I'm like, okay, he's he cannot move yeah. because Kelly Bryant uh, is, a, is is a solid passer. He's a very good runner. Um, that is where a lot of the danger with him comes from. And if he couldn't, you know, extend and take a slight hit for a first down for like what should have been a pretty easy first down conversion. Um, and if he's pulling up lame like there, either he just he was not going to be able to move. And and Syracuse showed that um, with their all, defensive pressure all game. And then when Cooper came in, they dialed it up even more. Most likely because for, for his, I mean, his problem was probably more being able to identify defenses because he's not experienced. Um, I was very uh, surprised, as were many Clemson fans, that we didn't see Hunter Johnson. Uh, I was also relieved that we didn't see Hunter Johnson. You and me um, even talked about him last week and said, like, we were most concerned with Hunter Johnson of all the quarterbacks on the roster, if only because of the, like, unknown factor. It's weird because, like, following this all week, and I was obviously paying attention, I was paying more attention to Clemson's injury situation this week than normal, but even either way, Clemson was the number two team in the country. I kind of knew know what's going on with them week to week. And, like, there never seemed to be a real question about Brian's status, so... It was surprising to me that he was so uh, gimpy. Like, I assumed that Kelly Bryant was going to be, like, look pretty close to 100% based on everything that came out of Clemson. And usually when you have an injured quarterback or an injured significant player, they try to, you know, couch it more as, like, they, they, they try to make it seem like he's more hurt than he is and then leave more questions as to whether or not he'll play. 
Clemson acted all week like Kelly Bryant was going to go out there and play the whole game and it was going to be no big deal, and it was clearly a big deal. He was not right from the get-go before he ever got hit. So that because of that, I'm more surprised that we didn't see Hunter Johnson because you had to think that uh, Kelly Bryant looked the way he did in the game in practice, and they would be like, okay, we need to figure out a contingency here. And no offense to Sarah Cooper, I'm sure you know with reps he'd be a solid player. He's at Clemson for a reason. But Hunter Johnson was, the, what, the number one quarterback in the country last year? He was yeah. one of the top guys, if not number one overall. Like, that's maybe the guy of the future, and the only reason he wouldn't be is because Clemson has the number one quarterback of the next class as well, Trevor Lawrence. Um, but, like, you would think that would be the guy you'd go to with a full week knowing, hey, our quarterback might not be ready to play in this game or might get knocked out early. And instead, they went with Cooper, and, like, he wasn't terrible – he was just, you know, face an onslaught and could not get the ball down the field and could not uh, convert big third downs, which, you know, to be fair to him, no one is against the Syracuse defense this year. Um, but uh, I was surprised by that. Clemson fans were, like, I think that was the main thing Clemson fans were mad about, aside from maybe the fake punt, which was a really bad call. Hmm. Um, but other than that, like, Syracuse just beat them straight up. Like, that, like you said, Syracuse could have won by, I think, like, they left a lot of points on the board. Like, they left upwards of 20 points on the board. They handed Clemson a touchdown on the fumble. This could have been like a blowout, and and you know Clemson's a good team, so you can't just assume that Syracuse is always going to convert or like say that you know Syracuse just was like automatically going to score touchdowns where they settle for field goals if they had just done one thing differently because that's not a strength of Syracuse right now. But like they, this game could have easily been a two touchdown win. It could have been a three touchdown win if if like Syracuse played its A game. And that's that. what you alluded to. That's the scary thing. Syracuse, really, I don't think they played their best game. I think they played a very good game, and I think Clemson played a pretty poor game. But this Orange team can get better. Like This this was not the height of what they can do. Well, and we said this, too, we were, when we were talking on Slack throughout the weekend, and then Bill C's numbers showed up on Monday, and, and that, you know, all bore out pretty well. Uh, he had Syracuse performing in the 48th percentile. I think the offense was somewhere around like thirty three percent, and the defense was somewhere around like fifty eight percent. Like I have it up; it's like it's thirty eight and fifty six, okay. so roughly what you said. I think what we're learning with Bill C's numbers is that it his offensive numbers, especially, just don't really love our offense right now because it's not efficient. Well, um, it's a high. I mean, it's it's a high variance offense in that the only options we're, we're seeing is SU slowly, like not slowly, but. It takes a lot of plays to move down the field because they'll have, you know, two yards, three yards, two yards, three yards, five yards, six yards. Like, that type of offense is not going to grade out well because explosiveness is such a big part of Bill C's metrics. But then, you know, a a boom or bust offense like we saw in that game, I mean, I think I don't have the numbers in front of me. When I I did the uh, play-calling article, I think we had 15 plays that went for negative yardage, including penalties. Like, obviously, penalties were a big part, but we had a lot of negative plays – just by way of sacks, um, you know, Dungy kind of just bailing out to the nearest, you know, receiver who got hit behind the line. Like, we had a lot of losses, and the fact that we still managed, you know, as many yards as we did um, against a really, really, really good Clemson defense, um, it's a testament to the big plays, a testament to Dungy, but it also goes to show why uh, S&P Plus hated our game yet again. <laughs> it's because of that high, high variance and that, you know, again, it's a boomer bust kind of offense that it seems like we we settled into a lot last year and we're settling into to a similar extent this year, I feel like the last couple of games, which they've been successful, but that's largely because the defense has helped us out where the defense was, you know, uh, a non-issue last year. Yeah, and a lot of that goes back to the offensive line play. And, and to be honest, like, I think the offensive line deserves uh, some commendations after this game because... I was thinking about it today, and honestly, this kind of felt like the Central game, and the big difference there is that instead of playing Central Connecticut, we were playing Clemson, probably the best defensive line in the country. So, like, obviously the Central game was not good. We were all very scared after that. I'd say the fact that the opponents are scaling up kind of exponentially and the offensive line uh, performance is staying about the same means the offensive line is probably performing, like, it's probably improving pretty well. And I know that it won't show that when we gave up, like, you know, six sacks or whatever it was, and, and there was constant pressure. But, like, the performance doesn't look that different. And considering how much better the opponents have been over the last couple of weeks with NC State and Clemson, Pitt, not quite as much, and they still gave us problems, means I think this, this unit is getting better, even though if it's hard to identify 
um, on a, a game by game basis. I think even play by play, like we're, we're, we've been talking about it the last couple of weeks, the running game is getting slow, slowly a little more effective, and it can pick up some some short yardage uh, first downs. When what we did we at the just... beginning of that game was just stunning from a yes. running perspective. Like I know, as I said, I know we were all on Slack, I know we were all on Twitter, but like watching those early runs, not even Dungey's run, but Strickland and Neil, the way they were moving the ball early. Like just set the tone for the rest of the game because it, it, just like the previous game against Pitt, it opened up things for Ravian Pierce. It opened up, you know, the screens. It open it allowed it allowed Dungey to get more space if he was running to the sideline. Like the, the the success of the running game early just can't be you know overstated about how how important it was. And I was I was thoroughly thoroughly impressed with Strickland in particular, who. You know, even on his own, even without the offensive line, you know, just w- was moving people, was really pushing. I mean, that one, that one first down he had late, where used probably the most impressive run he's had at SU, even though it was only three or four yards. Like to see him really move the pile, to see him press, to see him like take a beating, but then also give one out um, at the same time. Like it's not that he was scary good; he was just. He probably put in his best rushing performance at SU, and that can't be, you know, just forgotten about um, when you look at everything else that happened in that game. And there's obviously so many players to talk about. I think Strickland's performance, you know, is going to go under is going to go under the radar because of the numbers. But when when you watched, and if you watched a second time too, you'd see just how much he was a, a pace setter for the for this offense. Yeah, and it's just a huge difference because the the averages aren't that much different. But again, we're playing Clemson, which is a huge difference between what we've been facing. Uh, especially early in the year, um, and the averages are about the same, if not even a little better. Um, but when you're actually picking up 3.5 yards of carry instead of just, like, Moniel breaks a 70-yard run and then you're getting, like, one and a half yards of carry every other run, like, that's a big difference. And and while we're not, you know, we're still breaking some decent runs, obviously Dungy's 45-yarder helps um, and some other, like, more explosive plays, when you're actually able to pick up, like, three yards, it's not great, but that's something. Like, that's... You know, setting yourself up at second and seven is so much better than setting yourself up at second and eleven. Like it's a huge difference. Well, we did a great job on first down too with big gains, and that was really one of the stark differences I noticed in this one. I think we had twelve or thirteen plays of uh, five or more yards on first down, like, and a lot of those were on the ground. I mean, that metric that I've and, and I've been tracking that metric since back in the George McDonald days, like. That metric usually told the story of how well we did in the game, like nine out of ten times, was was how we... Because if you look, too, at the numbers for Dungy on a down-by-down basis, like, his numbers on second and third down go down precipitously, and a lot of it's because of the running game not being able to set the table for a short situation. Um, He's still a very accurate pass overall, but you did see those numbers decrease, in particular on second down, since he has to face so many, you know, second and longs. Um, so it, it was great to see that. And I think Strickland ended up, average-wise, I think he still had about 3.9 yards per carry or it was something close to there. So I just think it, it's progress. And, and back to what we started talking about here with the offensive line, you know, the offensive line in just about every game has gotten blown up in the early parts of games. And by the second half, I mean, they're not amazing, but they do settle in and they settle down at th- over the course of a game. And I, I, I think that that's another thing that, you know, probably us and a lot of other people are missing is just how much they're able to, uh, you know, keep things together. And part of that's Dungy playing hero ball. Part of that's just the team needing some time to warm up. But you definitely see a much better offensive line in the second half of, of, of just about all these games. Where I think Dungy was sacked about four or five times in the first half and, uh, and only about two in the second half. Um, and and that's, that's notable, too, given how many plays Syracuse run and how much, uh, you know, we were playing uh, some – Weirdly, for the second straight games, some weird kind of ball control that we've been able to pull off. Yeah, that, that's a good point. I think Dungey's also done a nice job of mitigating, like, if he's going to get sacked, he's going to step up into the pocket and, and keep the yard loss to a minimum, or he's getting the ball away a little better. Um, so it's, it's a definitely a group effort. Um, and I think overall, like, the, the time of possession was pretty stark. Like, Syracuse dominated the ball, not just in the fourth quarter, throughout the game, um, they had the edge, and then obviously they had the what they basically had 11 minutes of the of the fourth quarter um i think oh, yeah. was the number i mean the last uh, i said the last two games we've had 34 more minutes of time possession which is like not at all what you'd expect from a dino babers team yeah i think that there's one thing to play with pace and obviously Syracuse does that throughout games and and it it's very effective and i think that 
did a, was a huge part of Clemson's defense wearing down. Um, the pace at which Syracuse played kind of set up that fourth quarter uh, ball killing or time killing uh, set of drives there. But being able to kind of uh, modulate your pace is something that a lot of te- these teams can't do. And you always hear about you know the teams that play super up tempo and and there's worry about them being able to put away games. But the fact that Syracuse can go from you know storing in three plays and and in ninety seconds to being able to grind out. Uh, how many plays was the last drive? I don't have your your chart open. It was like twelve. I want to say twelve. Yeah, to be able to grind that twelve play like six plus minute drive, the, the same offense just generally does not is not able to do that. And I think uh, that's a credit to Babers. I think he's a he's you know we we have we, we take exception with some of his like individual play calls, but overall he's a really good grasp on how he uh, he wants things to go and and while I think he does make some questionable decisions in terms of uh, time management at times overall I think as a, a macro level he's a, a pretty good time manager so and, and so many coaches are awful at it so um, credit to him obviously he deserves a lot of credit for for almost all of this this is his baby this win um, but that was really impressive to see because like you said offenses that run at the pace at which Syracuse does uh, are not usually ones that then that can then get the ball with six minutes left and kill the game. Like that's usually reserved for a much different type of offense, um, especially when when the team does struggle to run the ball overall, like Syracuse does. Um, and I was, and even so, I was so nervous when we got the ball back. The six minutes seemed like way too long, and it's just unbelievable how that drive worked out, especially considering the the gap at the end with the. Uh, failing the call timeout uh, and then Ugh. having the delay of game, which I was losing my mind, especially because I was behind the live feed, so I started to see, like, text messages pop up, and I was watching on my phone, and I and it was just people, like, in all caps, and I couldn't tell if they were happy or, like, angry all caps, and it kind of blended together, because that, it, feel, it felt like that, that, like, the time between the, uh, the, the penalty and then the next play was, like, seven minutes. I was dying. Like, this game almost killed me. I mean, it was that was that was among the dumbest things I've ever seen, um, and that's not to that's not to like backtrack and like blast Babers, but I, I just there's no excuse for that when you have two timeouts. <laughs> like you you can't let that happen. Um, and and there were a couple like I understand what some of the detractors, even the lingering ones, are, are saying about like certain mental gaps that are really like on the coaching staff a little bit, and between like the delay of game to start the game. Uh, you know, last week it was the 12 men on the field, uh, and obviously this delay of game, you know, really, really late. I mean, Dungy pulled off one of the most impressive, I, I said in the play calling article, probably the most impressive thing he's ever done in the football field to me, that, uh, that third and eight run. But so, so, you know, it's forgotten about, but that, that could have decided, that could have potentially decided the game. And, uh, these things can't be, they can't be harped on enough because until they get fixed, there are always going to be potential issues for Syracuse um, to, you know, get past better teams, but also to get past itself. Like they, they lucked out, and they, in some ways, in that they faced a Clemson team that was just not ready, was unfocused, um, and, and was kind of, you know, sleepwalking through the early parts of the game, and that really set the tone for the rest of it. But like against Miami, it's going to be a big game. It's going to be in the afternoon. They're going to be well prepared for this one. They know exactly what they're getting and they know exactly what type of Syracuse team is going to show up at the stadium. Like you're, you're not going to be able to beat Miami doing things like that. And and that's not to say Miami's better than Clemson, but it's to say Miami's going to be more ready to take advantage of those things than, than Clemson might've been on a Friday night. So if we beat Miami, it will be their fault because they would have known. (laughs) I mean, maybe Miami should have had some kumbaya meetings, picnics in the club. <laughs> um, it, this is an interesting. I mean, it's it's. I kind of wish we had you know a game that we. I wish we had BC right now, and oh, I yeah. BC looked really good this weekend too. It'd be care. nice. To, we would have teed off on to, BC. I, I feel pretty good about that matchup, even after their performance in Louisville, because Louisville doesn't look like it's a, as a pulse right now. Louisville is trash. Um, yeah, like. This rest of the schedule's really opened up a lot. After this Miami game, and Miami, I'm still, like, obviously they're undefeated, and if you're undefeated this far in, like, you deserve a lot of credit. Um, I'm still not totally buying in on Miami as, like, a top-10 team. Obviously, I think they are quite good. Uh, but it doesn't feel like a game that's, like, completely uh, insurmountable, which, you know, heading into the Clemson game, it probably felt like two losses right on the back-to-back, and, you know, we were just hoping to get through this, you know, stretch without feeling too bad about ourselves. Now, like... I, 
I don't know that we'll go down there and win a second straight game and it's an undefeated top 10 team, but uh, the players will probably feel pretty good about themselves. And, you know, obviously a lot of guys are from down there. I think there was a, a story today about Steve Ishmael's family getting to see him play for the first time, which is awesome. Uh, so I'm sure he'll have a big performance as he does most weeks, whether or not there's something like that play- going on. I think we have 11 uh, kids from South Florida on the roster right now. Yeah, that sounds about right. I mean, we have a, it's a pretty high percentage. Um, so, I mean, Miami will be favored. They're favored by, what, two touchdowns, and that's probably about right. And, it's up to, like, um, I think 16 and a half now. Is it all the way up? Yeah, so people are fading Syracuse as, like, a one-week wonder pretty hard then, which is which I get. We're going to cover. Right, like, <laughs> I feel good about it. We covered pretty consistently this year. I think we're, like... We're 4-1-1 one, and one against the spread. Yeah, we're, we're a pretty good cover team. Um, apparently, that was a Babers thing at Bowling Green, too. Like, he covered... He was one of those, like... You know, you can bet us every week and feel good, pretty good about it thing. Um, Matt Rule at Temple was like the cover god. Uh, and now, <laughs> not so much um, at Baylor. But, uh, I mean, they, they, oh, oh, and 12 is really on the table for that. Yeah. Uh, well, they haven't played Kansas yet. No, they haven't played Kansas. Kansas only, they'll beat Kansas. Kansas is like a Nets level bad team. Yeah. But, but if um, Kansas wants to harness everything for one game, I, they, have, they have my blessing to make that the one. That'd be really funny. <laughs> Iowa State's probably going to blast Baylor, though. Iowa oh, State yeah. looks pretty good. Iowa State's going to run right through them. <laughs> yes. Getting back to Syracuse. Um, the Miami game just definitely feels uh, more attainable here, and, and I don't know that I'm going to pick it or anything, but I think we'll at least be very competitive. And then the rest of the schedule, like Florida State's down, Clemson's kind of, uh, Louisville's kind of a mess, and then BC. Like Honestly, the weight's probably the most like well put together of these teams right now in terms of like what their expectations were versus what they are now. And I don't think Wake's great, but Wake like plays pretty hard every week and, and plays up to teams. Um, other than that, like you know, I'm not going to say BC is automatically the team that we saw this weekend because they haven't been consistently for the last couple of years. Florida State's all kinds of hurt, and and Louisville's just a mess. Louisville's been kind of a mess since they lost to Kentucky last year. So the schedule is is I mean, there's no game that you can just like sleep on. Like, there's no guarantee that we go out and beat BC, even though I think we both feel very good about it. Right. Like, we could easily lay an egg there. But we're biased. But there's no game that we're we're also very biased. Um, but there's no game that I think that we're like definitively going to lose no matter what. Like, Miami going down to beat Miami, like it would be surprising. It would not be a huge shock considering we just beat Clemson. Yeah, I mean, and that kind of goes back to what we were saying last week about the the progress and. and closing the gap in season one versus season two in the system and how things are starting to click. Like to me, like I want to win this weekend. If we lose by a touchdown to Miami down in Miami, I'm not going to be, I'm not going to be distraught. I mean, unless the, the touchdown happens like in the last second, then I'm going to be distraught. Um, but like, if you had told me before the season, you had told me before last weekend that we were going to go one and two in this stretch against Clemson and then at Miami and at FSU, I would take that in a heartbeat. And I think everybody else would too. Um, so if we end up four and five after this, that's not the end of the world. I think it's, it's unfortunate, but I don't think it's unexpected. Um, it's asking a lot of any team to be able to beat two top 10 opponents. And I said this in the comments to somebody today. Um, most top 10 teams can't be two top 10 opponents in a row. So like asking us to do that is probably a stretch. Um, and you know, there's a lot of teams in the ACC, that can't face Clemson, Miami, and Florida State in, in you know back to back to back games and get any wins. So I'm I don't want to lose. I'm not rooting for a loss. But I, I said this you know in the, in the Saturday morning post is like everyone let's just keep this keep the feeling at the end of that game against Clemson in mind. If we go zero two in these next two, it doesn't mean that the sky's falling. The progress is very clearly there. It's just not done, and, and, and you know, the, to, to steal Dino's term again, the, the cake is still baking, but it's very close to done, and the, you know, like, 10 minutes to go cake still tastes pretty good based on what we saw on Friday. Yeah, I mean, I, I think we just bought ourselves a lot of room. I, obviously, it would have been nice to have the MTSU game, which I had a lot of people bring uh, up to me after we'd been this, like, oh, we could be 5-2. Five and, five and two. Like, yeah, we'd we be could ranked be, right but... Now. We would be ranked, and if we beat Miami this weekend, we'll probably be ranked, which is something. Um, I think we didn't get any votes this week. There's no, there's no way we won't be ranked. Like I'm, I, 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 I would go all in on that. If you, if you beat two straight top ten opponents, as long as you have over, if you, as long as you have a f- over five hundred record, you're ranked. I, I agree, and I was surprised we didn't get votes this week. I thought we would get like a couple, yeah, not a lot, but I thought 
Because we got votes earlier in the year, didn't we? Like, randomly? We did, and I'm almost positive now that it was Doc Still. <laughs> I, like, Maybe. I think it was... I, or, like, Schaefer, like, stole his ballot and made sure to, to, to get us votes so that way the win would look more impressive for them. So that he could then... <laughs> that he could then, you know... <laughs> You know, two and one, one year, or or whatever he wanted to say at the end of the game. Also, I, I kind of love that we just blatantly ripped off Schaefer's, like, Siddhar thing. Like, it took all of a month for us to just, like, forget about that, and then our players would do it themselves uh, after the Clemson game, which I totally, which they totally earned, because it wasn't like we had any, like, weird vendetta against Clemson. Clemson didn't fire Syracuse football or anything. Right. Um, but I thought that was pretty funny. I didn't see that until today, either. Um, yeah, I only so saw it like earlier too, and I, I, I was impressed by that. I, I really want to know who brought them because that is a ballsy move to do. It's and you're about to play the number two team in the country that you were a 23 point dog to. It's got to be Dungy. Like, if, if, if anybody. Oh, that would be such a Dungy move. If anybody there has the pair to do that, I think it's him. Like, I don't think he's bitter at Schaefer. Like, that's why I almost think it's got to be somebody who, like, who doesn't love Schaefer. They might not have even thought about it as a Schaefer thing. They might have just saw Schaefer do it and been like, oh, let's do that if we beat Clemson. Right. <laughs> I, I kind of want a Photoshop of Dungy pouring the grape soda on his head with a cigar in his mouth. <laughs> I might do that myself. Please do it, and I'll make sure it's up on a, on a, in a post. I, can, I can't do it as a GIF. I don't have those skills, but That's I fine. can do it as a still. If you can do it as a still, uh, that, if you do it as a still that'll be enough. <laughs> oh, God. There, I also enjoy that this win gave us like just so many like little new things, like the, the Dungy grape soda, which is obviously made its way around the, the college internet, which is wonderful, but, like, I feel like we've gained a lot of just, like, new memes and quotes and other things that we, you know, occasionally we get, like, kind of stale with our, our things, but this this win gave us a, a new opportunity to really branch out and, and embrace new, uh, like, weird witticisms for the Syracuse fan base. This is, this is always what it comes from, though. Like, you think about it, like, most of our, like, weird things came from, like, Marone's most successful seasons. It came from, like... You know, the Texas Bowl season, it came from the Final Four runs. Like, something like this, like, where it was a real collective Syracuse experience is really where, like, the, the, you know, the jokes and garbage hits, like, full tilt. And, and yeah, I, I, was, I was very impressed by everybody's efforts, um, both that night and, and in the days since, where uh, the, the, there's been some real quality work on the site. There's been some real quality work on Twitter. Um, it's great to see, you know, national folks paying attention to what we're doing on the blog, but also just as a fan base, um, you know, really kind of cheering for us. I know Sean had that tweet on Friday night that it was weird seeing national, like all these national folks, you know, paying close attention to what was going on at the Carrier Dome. It seemed like, you know, inviting people over to a house party and then they started shuffling through your CDs, like, and you had no idea who they were, like... (laughs) Like, it, I definitely had a little bit of that feeling, like, hey, this is our stuff, and, like, we're the ones who are allowed to, like, criticize it, and, and we're the ones who are allowed to mess around with it, but at the same time, again, like, it was great listening to all the, the podcasts, you know, recapping the weekend, and hearing, you know, the praise for Syracuse, and I know uh, Shutdown Fullcast, and, and a lot of the others were, uh, were very complimentary, and, and really did like what we did, and I hope that we can continue that, because... I know it doesn't always seem like it, but um, we are a big part of the fabric of college football, as is everybody else that plays power conference football. But uh, that that amount you matter can go down very quickly if you uh, if you don't compete. And this year we've competed. We've made we've made ourselves part of the story, and uh, I hope that we can be a bigger part. Obviously, the playoffs are out of the question, but um, and I'm not even going to entertain an ACC championship, but. Um, I will entertain a bowl game, and the fact that no matter which bowl we go to, if we go to a bowl, uh, somebody's going to mention the Clemson game. So I'd say that, that that that's a nice win and nice progress for us. Yeah, and and now I think it, it becomes pretty important for this team to go to a bowl because um, obviously you, you don't just like write off what the Clemson win means, but the 2011 West Virginia game, like it's nice, and I still enjoy thinking about that game. It rings so much more hollow that we lost out after that. Yes, um, and I don't expect that to happen again. But this this game really matters a lot if you build on it and fail into a bowl, even if you you know you you were competitive in every other game, but you finished five and seven. Like it takes a lot of the air out of it. So now I think the pressure is kind of on this team, uh, where you know, and they kind of did it to themselves, but I think they'll take it. Yeah, I'd agree. I uh, a bowl would be. A bowl would be critical if we want to close recruiting the way I think we can. Um, bowl's critical, I think. You know, 
going back to what Babers has been saying, like, you know, now you, he asks for belief without evidence. Now that, you know, now the evidence is there, it has, that belief has to turn into trust. So now, like, that trust also extends to the recruits. I think the, the recruits now, we have to see who's still on the, on the list of, of priorities. But, you know, who can trust... Who can trust Dino Babers to be able to do this on a consistent basis? And I think, again, based on what we saw against Clemson, I I certainly trust him to do this at a frequent enough rate. I don't expect him to upset Clemson every year, but I, I do expect us to get better each you know, every year that he's here now. Yeah, it also helps that like this isn't the first big upset. Like we beat Virginia Tech last year and that's not the same as this. But, you know, they were probably two touchdown favorites in that game, if I remember correctly. And they were number 17 in the country, and they ended up being quite good last year. So it's not like this is the first big win of the Babers era. It's the second. And the fact that they pulled one off in each of his first two years um, is pretty indicative that this could be, like, a, a trend and not just, like, a one-off crazy performance. Well, the same thing happened with Marone. And, and this is, you know, we had a ranked win in the final game of Marone's first year against Rutgers. And then we proceeded to, you know, beat, I think it was West Virginia the second year that we knocked off a ranked team. Like, these wins are more impressive than those wins. And, I'm like, it's not to reduce what Marone had to do there and, and, and the depths from which he had to pull this team and this program, but, like, these wins are, are, are far larger, you know, impact victories than those were. Um, and, and they have the, the ability to really turn this thing around in a hurry. But, again, like you said, they need to be followed up with more wins. And, and that's always going to be the struggle with this schedule. And that's always going to be the struggle with don't schedule too tough, you know, in the non-conference. Because then you make that job of, you know, turning that big win into another big win even harder. Yeah, and unfortunately that wasn't even the problem this year. Aside from, like, you could say that we shouldn't have had LSU. But, like... We should have had another non-conference win. I said, don't schedule too hard non-conference. And then, even if you do schedule an MTSU team that ends up not being that good, make sure they're not coached by your former head coach, who has a vendetta. Um, Just another rule to add to the, you know, ever-expanding list of rules for scheduling uh, (laughs) by the Nudes Magician staff. No more Schaefer teams. Uh, uh, He almost got twice, because he was supposed to coach that Maryland team we played, like, in... uh, When did we play Maryland? Uh, he wouldn't have been on the Maryland team that, like, he would have been on, game was Maryland, he would have been on the expected. yeah he would have been on the 2019 Maryland staff yeah. So hopefully he doesn't go back there. I think they're doing okay, so probably not. Yeah, I have a feeling that he's not. Although you know what, I, I not to hate on him too much, but I do feel like all the antics and stuff are like are, are definitely noted around college football. Yeah, I don't know. I don't really. I haven't followed them really since our unfortunate game against them. So I don't know if like the defense has actually been good or not. But uh, it hasn't been great. But it's definitely. It's. I mean, it's definitely not as good as it was that game. But I mean, a lot of it's just the fact that Richie James has been hurt. Stockstill's been out every game since, which is just crushing to me as a as a person who is invested in Syracuse football. <laughs> yeah, it would have been nice if they could have like been the team we thought they were uh, after that and like competed for that conference and or been this team you know. when they faced us or yeah or just be bad like if you could have just been bad that would have been great and i would have felt a lot better about things but overall still in the past we beat clemson so do i take care of bc and wake or whomever and i don't even care like i saw some people saying like we should win like seven or eight now like let's just get oh, to six. God. let's get to six and feel this good is. about our quick lane bowl against uh against northwestern or whatever yeah this fan base kills me <laughs> just every single time uh, alright let's talk some halftime and then we can talk about Miami sounds good so uh, Dan what have you been drinking uh, another pretty light week for me the only the only really real night I drank a lot of well, not even a lot of beer but some beers uh, was Friday night during the game slash I was also at a concert which I assumed I was able to watch um, pretty freely after like 9.30 and I was not I was on my phone the whole time <laughs> um, really bad concert goer, but um, I caught every play of our game, so that's what counts. Uh, I had 
two things from Captain Lawrence. I had their Capital Ale, which is their special ale for the Capital Theater in Portchester. And I also had their Fresh, Fresh Chester Pale Ale, both pretty similar beers, but both good. And then after the concert slash game, I decided to treat myself to a giant can of uh, shitty Modelo because I had to uh, get to a credit card limit so I could buy a charger to charge my phone because I had watched <laughs> the entire football game on it. There you go. <laughs> so very very well-rounded drinking night for me and then i pretty much sat the rest of the weekend out just as uh just you know taking an easy one because i'm going to uh sec country next weekend which will be just a mess so fun fun um for me i only had i only had one beer on friday night because by the time i was done with all the coverage and crap um it just like got late so i had a uh from cellador ales had a fire gold uh with tangerines Saison on Saturday. Went to a seafood place, but they did have a pretty good beer list. So I had a McKellar Raspberry Blush. It was a very interesting uh, Berliner Weiss with um, raspberry and coffee. Doesn't sound like something that works, but it really does. Um, had an Allagash Hoppy Table beer. Nothing new there. I had it from uh, OEC Brewing up in Connecticut. Had their uh, Odilla Ceresis. It's a uh, Lambic. And then I went down to the brewery on uh, on Sunday. They had a couple interesting beers there. They had a Shake This Coconut Smoothie. That was super good. Their Oktoberfest had a Bamango Berazzled uh, Mango and Raspberry Sour Ale from them. Had a Oat Tart with uh, Marion Berries. Then had White Chocolate with Cherries. White Chocolate's a barley wine from them. Uh, the Cherries didn't really get a ton of them, but really good beer. And then checked out a new uh, brewery down there. Uh, Town Park was over in Anaheim and had their uh, hippie pale ale. That was was fine. Cool, nice. Uh, some some northeastern things going on there. Yeah, I uh, I was finishing up some stuff that uh, a buddy of mine had sent because uh, I was picking some stuff up from him, for him for the brewer, uh, from the brewery. So he sends out some stuff for me, um, and then yeah, Aliash obviously you can find everywhere. And I'll yep. always I'll always take some hoppy table beer. It's uh one of my favorites, if you if you want to drink a decent amount, but you know don't want to drink crap, but also don't want to drink like really heavy beers either. Yeah, I'm I'm all in on the expanding markets of like quality uh, sessions. Yeah, I would have to say definitely uh, definitely in my top five, and the fact that the fact that I can find it pretty much everywhere is is, is another big plus because I'll you know in LA you got to drive everywhere, so I'm not really going to be imbibing heavily at dinner usually or if i am i still don't want to like you know feel like crap at the end of the night when i just feel like over full on you know ipas or what have you so again definitely definitely a recommended beer and i hate javier baez that can stay in the recording <laughs> sorry i'm for for those listening now i'm watching the cubs dodgers game and had to react. I was I was wondering, like, does he have anything to do with? Oh no, no, Cubs, Cubs, Dodgers. He did not brew any bad session beers. No, although I don't think he'd be a great brewer. Just based on no evidence. Based we'll, on zero. We'll yeah, based on zero evidence. <laughs> he might be a fantastic brewer. Who knows? We have no idea, but odds are he is not. Right. All right. On that note, talk a little bit of Miami. Um... I don't think we're going to win this game, but I'd love if we did. Um, Malik Rozier is getting better, it seems. I know that the uh, the folks at State of the U are actually telling me about the fact that there's like a first and a second half Rozier, and like second half Rozier is great and first half Rozier sucks. So since we get off to slow starts, I'd love it to if we saw some first half Rozier on Saturday. Yeah, I thought that was pretty interesting. Um, I haven't looked at looked at his splits or anything, but they seemed pretty uh, pretty sure about that being like the case with him. Um, the fact that we get off the slow starts generally, obviously, we, we kind of bucked that trend a little bit against uh, Clemson with that first drive. But it would be nice to uh, to kind of change things um, this weekend and jump on them, especially if like you know you're gonna have to rely on him playing from behind. I think that would be a a nice change for us. Yeah, I'd be all about that. Um, Syracuse hasn't really played ahead much this year. Um, we also haven't forced a turnover in, like, what, three games, I think. Which is 
This, we didn't do anything against NC State. Did no. Yeah, we did. So we haven't had a turnover since the LSU game, I don't think. So that's been a, that's been quite a while. Yeah, we're we're playing uh, we're protecting the ball uh, pretty well overall. I'm looking up uh, Miami's advanced stuff. Um, Bill C's numbers are much kinder to them. <laughs> I could see that. Although, although they also yeah. factor in the preseason stuff still for them. That's true. Oh, yeah, have they, has he totally taken out preseason for us? Yes. Uh, are we at that point? It's yeah. week seven, right? Yeah, preseason's out for us. Preseason still has two more weeks for them. Yeah, so basically they played three, like, really great games to start the year, um, and then dropped off F- FSU, but they snuffed that one out, and then I'm actually surprised that his uh, his numbers liked their performance against Georgia Tech so much. I know that's a tricky game, but he had them at a 65% percentile performance, and, like, they it were... did not look good. They didn't look good. I mean, obviously, the, the conditions were, were rough. Like, that was a sloppy, sloppy uh, condition game. Um, rained off and on the whole time, and then it really picked up in the second half, it felt like. Um, Georgia Tech kind of drags you into the mud as is, even if there is no mud to be found. Um, and they needed like a pretty lucky convert. I mean, not really lucky. They made a great play, but a very low percentage conversion uh, at the end to set up the game winner. And he had him at 65% percentile and 76% to win. So obviously the numbers don't take into account like that kind of uh, uh, like situation. But um, it liked them a lot more in that game than it did in the FSU game, which was also like a crazy last-second win, so I'm hoping that the combination of um, coming off of two very uh, probably emotional, especially the Florida State game, emotional for them, um, last-second uh, wins against, um, I don't know what the relationship with Georgia Tech really is, but they're you know division rivals at least, and then Florida State's obviously their main rival. Um, the fact that they're coming off of like two wins of, you know, in the last minute, uh, and then in the last couple plays even, um, and then they're switching from playing against Georgia Tech, which is obviously a very specific uh, spread triple option team, going to face Syracuse, which is obviously an air raid team. Um, that feels like it should be a pretty jarring switch in one week. Uh, and I know teams do it, but like there aren't that many Georgia Techs out there, so that kind of throws a wrench into preparations. Um, am I making up the thought that there's like a post-Georgia Tech game like thing that people have looked into? People have definitely looked into it, and there's been like... There's a correlation, but there's no, like, you can't find a definitive causation. But it, it definitely does create a little bit of a, a hangover physically when you face Georgia Tech and to a lesser extent, like Navy and Army. Um, but yeah, the, the Georgia Tech one is the most notable because they have the best athletes out of those um, and the biggest athletes. But yeah, it's. I don't think anyone's going to claim that it's this uh, that that they're better off for facing Georgia Tech uh, by any means. And obviously, given all the injuries, I know uh, Cameron from State of the U provided an extensive list of guys who were not playing. Um, that's not good for them. Um, the one thing I just looked up actually, it seems like right now Thunder and Lightning is in the forecast for Saturday. Um, that would be a reason why Syracuse wouldn't win, in my opinion. <laughs> Just because we, we haven't seen what weather what havoc weather can wreak on this team this uh, this year, but last year it didn't really do us any favors, and that, uh, that 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 makes me a little nervous. Yeah, I'd rather not deal with that. Uh, I again, I don't think it'll be to the level that the Wake Forest game was because that was like some rare right. uh, like weather, um, and I don't think we have like another tropical storm or hurricane in the forecast in Florida. Although you can't rule it out because there's one every like three days now. But um, if it's just a normal rainstorm, I think we might be okay. Although I would much rather just take a clear, a clear game if we could get it. Yeah, I mean, given all the issues with drops and things like that, it's uh, definitely preferred to avoid precipitation and, and, and all things of that nature. Um, I know for me, like the one thing that I thought was going to be a good thing for us, the, um, the Mark Walton injury, not that I wanted him to be injured. I actually really like his game. Um, the fact that, um, what is it, Travis Homer? Yes. Yeah, he's the main yeah. fill-in here. Travis he's Homer's their fill-in. Well. Yeah, and he's doing pretty well. Averaging eight yards a carry. That's problematic for us. That that said, you know, Clemson went into the game last week with, uh, with two really good running backs, um, some great yards per play averages. They were one of the best rushing offenses in the country. And that didn't work out too well for them. I mean, part of that was because Kelly Bryant wasn't really at 100%. But um, 
this could be comparable. I Again, I'm not going to sit here and think that SU is going to be able to put on that type of performance week after week. But, you know, bringing back what you said earlier, like Miami playing the way they have of late and, like, you know, coming down to the wire in these really, like, tight games and emotional games, you know, two straight weeks, like, that does take its toll a little bit. I know we saw that during the basketball season. That was a conversation you and I had and we had on the blog. Like, you can only play like that by the skin of your teeth for so long until it starts to actually have, like, a negative effect. Um, I don't think Miami's there yet, but who knows? You know, I'm not in that locker room. I don't see these guys. I don't see, you know, the amount of things they've had to go through with all these injuries and everything else. So perhaps, perhaps their emotional baggage outweighs ours. Yeah, I also think for all the offense for Miami, I, I'm less concerned with the Walton injury. Obviously, he's probably the best back on the ACC if he's healthy. He's, he's probably in the top three at, at the very least. Um, but uh, Amon Richards is maybe their best receiver. Uh, um, I struggle to remember who else they have there. Oh, they have they still have Bradson Barrios is probably number one. Yeah. Um, Although Richards, I mean Richards is like the bigger play guy though. Barrios is like the pesky. Barrios pesky, is, yeah. is, pesky slot is Hunter guy. Renfro. Yeah. <laughs> like if, for, for bad comparisons. <laughs> Future Patriot. <laughs> for bad, like, small white receiver yeah. comparisons. Um, Barrios is like their, their, like, bell cow, like, extend the, you know, extend the drive guy with five touchdowns who seems to find the end zone all the time. Um, and, and they have a lot of good receivers. Herndon's good. Langham, obviously, the huge catch against Georgia Tech. He's good. Tager's talented. Uh, Richards was, like, their big home run hitter. Um, and against our defense, where you know they are still susceptible to the big play, even if they are improving. Um, last year, Richards uh, averaged 19.1 yards to catch, uh, had three touchdowns, had a long of 77. This year, he was averaging 24.9 yards to catch. Um, he had, his first game was against Duke, and he had 106 yards. Uh, he didn't play against Georgia Tech, um, and it seems like he's probably questionable for this game. So if he's out or if he's hampered, like that could be, I think, almost a bigger factor than um, the downgrade from uh, Walton to Homer, if that is even as a downgrade, because the numbers are pretty similar. Yeah, I mean, I really wasn't too impressed with their offense these last, you know, couple weeks. I, I think like, and Rozier hasn't done anything like definitively wrong, but he hasn't done anything like amazing either. Um, the offense, again, despite Bill's numbers, really liking what they did against Georgia Tech, I really didn't see. If, like, I didn't feel like there was enough to like. I think they stalled out a little bit. I think that the passing game worked well enough. I mean, Rosier threw for almost 300 yards. That's more than Dungy did. But um, I'm definitely at a loss for what this offense is going to look like. And I think that, you know, Brian Ward and Dino Babers might be two. Um, and that could obviously cause some issues here and there. Yeah, it seems like a pretty balanced attack overall. I'm looking at their numbers. Um, Rozier is, is, you know, all everything he has is rock solid. Obviously, the, the completion percentage isn't like great, fifty nine percent, but it's not like debilitating. Um, he doesn't throw very many picks. Uh, he's you know seven point three yards uh, an attempt, which is, is solid. That's you know I think Dungey's not too far from that. Um, obviously, Dungey I think throws a good amount more. Yeah. Um, but then they have a very good running game, which we've talked about. Their offensive line seems to be pretty good. They do give up sacks, which. Uh, Syracuse kind of found itself in that regard last week against Clemson. Um, so if they can kind of keep that going against Miami, that'd be a nice development. Uh, and then defensively, they, they look like they're solid, not great overall. Um, but it, it looks like I think they can probably pass on. Uh, I'm not quite sure what their running defense looks like. I, I think it was actually pretty good. Here. Okay, so, I mean... Uh, yeah, so yeah, they're 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 ranked uh, sixty one in rushing S and P on defense. Actually, so that's you know fairly average. Um, and Clemson was one of the best rushing defenses, and look what happened. Yeah, the Syracuse team seems to like kind of buck statistical like 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 we can look at these stats heading into the games. They haven't seemed to matter that much, except for like you know we knew Clemson and NC State would both get pressure, but like I said, they they got about as much as other teams were getting. So and they minimize the, the damage. Team, they do minimize the damage, and they seem to like just kind of mitigate what, like, the... Uh, they're not staling in terms of the opponent. The the better defensive opponents are having, like, similar success to the weaker defensive opponents, and it just kind of seems like Syracuse uh, gives up, like, the pressure that it's going to give up, and it, it just isn't... hasn't been, like, so much more of an issue with these better teams. Obviously, they're, like, individual plays that are big, and, 
And, you know, when you play Bradley Chubb, you're going to develop some big plays. Like, he had a great game, but uh, amidst, like, the flopping and everything. But, like, I expected much worse, honestly. Uh, we talked about this before. But um, I don't think Miami's front is, is like, any better than Clemson's or NC State's. Honestly, I think it's, it's probably right there. So I feel pretty good that they're going to probably give a performance that's similar to what those two games were and Syracuse beat Clemson and total beat NC State. Yeah, I agree. I'm not – I and maybe we're just like – you know, it becomes this thing where you're just so you know so used to the pain that you just keep going. <laughs> like that's kind of how I feel about, um, you know, facing yet another like really top defensive front. Um, Miami has a lot of speed there. I think that's a concern, but again, I don't think it's any more of a concern than it was against Clemson. I think the one thing that that should concern us on the other side, like last week, what, what we did really well in the early part, and, and you know, it was another thing that Clemson fans are really pissed off about was. The fact that, you know, the team kept, the Clemson kept dialing up pass, like passing when they were have finding success in the run. Um, they are a great running team. Uh, it just didn't make any sense why they kept dialing up passes, especially in the first half. It's kept dialing up pass after pass. Like, dialing up passing is, is not, is not going to really harm Miami. I think if we force Miami to throw, they're going to throw and they're going to do so with, with a reasonable amount of success especially with Barrios out there. Um, while Clemson has Renfro, like, they really were, were, were a two-receiver you know receiver team. I think if everyone's healthy, potentially, for Miami this week, we could see, you know, something look a little bit different for them where they really have three or four, maybe even five capable, capable targets out there um, along with a quality run game. And, you know, SU's not going to be able to sell out against one um, while, while letting them have the other. Yeah, I think that's a very fair point. Um... Because overall, like, I, I, I don't know, I, I'm interested to see how this plays out. I, I think a lot of it's going to be how Syracuse reacts to uh, coming off of this big win. Obviously, Babers has kind of handled it, against, I'd say, against the grain as to what you normally see for a team coming off a big upset, where they try to play it down, and Babers has not really done that. And I don't know if there's any real market effect from how you handle it emotionally, um, but I do think, like, in college football, those are things that are probably played out more so than, like, you know, in a, in a pro sport. Um but he seems pretty confident about like letting his his guys enjoy it and uh, kind of rolling into the next game, building off the momentum of that. So I'm I'm really interested to see if, if this team kind of comes out and looks like it can beat the world and, and believes that it. I mean, I, I have no doubt they now believe that they can beat Miami, but um, getting after a slow start would be a little disconcerting. Um, so I'm hoping that uh, Syracuse can kind of have a similar start to what it had against Clemson and, and really show that it's going to continue to roll on here and not just like let the Clemson game be the game and then fall apart afterwards, which we have seen from other Syracuse teams as we've recounted both last year and, and some of the Marone teams. Yeah. I definitely want to see the result of like, you know, swag as a marketing tool um, internally. Cause I, yeah, I do feel like a lot of coaches would be like, you know, let's go to the next game. Let's turn the page. Let's, let's forget about this one. We have another game ahead. I feel like Babers has let everybody kind of, you know, eat their own dog food. <laughs> like, kind of like, like, you know, read the headlines, believe everything. Like, like you're as good as, you're as good as people thought you were on Friday. Um, this is going to be an interesting test now to see how they respond to that, how they respond to having targets on their backs, how they respond to being, you know, an expectedly formidable opponent. I, I, I think NC State and LSU expected us to be what we were, but I think that they still looked at us as a team that wasn't necessarily up to the same level. Miami, we're not surprising them at all. Um, so it is going to be very, you know, very telling how, like you said, how, how we can start in this one, especially if Miami is going to be starting slow, um, as, as was indicated. Um, and it has been indicated in the last few games where they really haven't gotten much done um, on offense in particular in the early parts of games. Yeah, there's no uh, there's no ducking people when you uh, lead SportsCenter and uh, did a segment on College Dean Day and are basically the talk of an entire weekend of college football. So uh, as we alluded to before, I, I don't think Miami will have any excuse uh, over not you know realizing that Syracuse can be pretty good. Um, and at the same time, Syracuse doesn't have the, uh, they're not going to sneak up on people anymore. Even if they did it twice in two years, like I think that's pretty much it now, um, at least for the foreseeable future. Uh, hopefully we don't give uh, other teams reasons to forget about us now. Um, so this will be telling. I, I, I don't think that we can go in and, and just say, you know, we're going to go knock down Miami and just like roll on to, you know, some crazy nine and three season. But 
I also expect this team will will parlay this into a, a strong performance on the road, and and I think I, there should not be a game down the stretch where we're not competitive. So I, I hope that we see that, and and like I said, get to the six wins and and see where we're going, and then really turn this into something next year. Yeah, I mean, I think the buy the buy's timed well, in my opinion. Win or lose this one, I think the buy is timed very well, and I'm looking forward to. Um, for myself a weekend off <laughs> but also uh, I think it'll be good for these players to be able to take a breather too and again no matter what happens this weekend uh, you can only ride energy for so long until it starts to starts to take it down a little bit so again it'll it'll be good for them to be able to physically recover a little bit after this weekend yeah absolutely and and if we do win then then I think things really get ramped up like we said we'll probably be ranked um, we would head into uh, the home stretch of the season in a, a place that we haven't been in, in probably 15 plus years. Um, I think then we'd really start to see something. I, I don't even know how people would react. Like I, I don't think we'd have the full like shock of the of the nation if we beat Miami, like we did in Clemson. Obviously, you, you know, you don't get that twice. But then we um, go into Tallahassee ranked, and Florida State wouldn't be. No, Florida State would <laughs> in the most bizarre even be twist. 500, would they? Uh, what, uh, no, they they could be because they're like two and three. Right okay, they, okay, so yeah, they could be. Um, that would be something. <laughs> I'd also then be I'd be terrified at that point. Like I would not want. I almost like don't want to be ranked going to Florida State, but I really want to be ranked. Upset alert! <laughs> yeah, one yeah. of those. Yeah, <laughs> you know, like the the hilarious like, like I think there was a the headlines of like West Virginia upsetting Texas Tech. I'm like West Virginia was a favorite in that game, right? <laughs> and I know like I know rankings are a thing, but. Like, point spreads are also a thing. This is true. Um, so, Dan, before we close out here, uh, what is your prediction for this game? Uh, I'm going to go Miami. Uh, th- I'm going to go 34-27 Miami. All right. Uh, I'm going 30-20. to 20. I really like our defense, and I think even if the offense doesn't have the same capabilities that they did against Clemson and Pitt. I think we're still going to see something from them. Um, I think 30-20 to 20 is fair. I think we might not have the energy that we need to in the beginning of the game, but we'll right-side it, uh, but not without some penalties kind of taking their toll as well. So I, I think a 10-point loss on the road to a top-10 team is, you know, it's not the preferred result, but it's not the worst result either. No, that seems about right. I feel... I feel like I've been kind of hedging against, like, oh, Syracuse is going to cover all these games. But now at this point, I feel pretty good about Syracuse covering these big, big lines. So I think we'll at, least be, uh, we'll at least be in that range for sure. I concur. That's Syracuse, everybody. Um, Dan, anything else before we, uh, before we head out? No, excited for a nice prime time. Well, not, not like nighttime prime time, but like a great 3.30 spot on ESPN. We have some commercials going for us. Like, it feels like we're a... We're a big-time college football team now. Yeah, yeah. commercials. Well, my wife's pissed because she hates the 3.30 kickoffs around here. Because 3.30 kickoff on the West Coast is 12.30. So then your whole day's shot. Oh, yeah. At least with a 3.30, like, on the East Coast, you can, like, do something before that. I love a 3.30 kick if you're going. Like, yeah. I honestly, I think if, I, if I'm, like, in terms of, like, because I'm always at work, um, I actually kind of love the noon kickoffs for Syracuse if I'm watching on TV just because I get it out of the way and then I can kind of deal with the rest of like my life and emotionally recover from it. Same. Um, but being at the game, I like 3.30 just because you don't need to be up at the break of dawn, but you also have like a pure like all the tailgating time you could want, and then you can actually do something with your life afterwards. This is true, and it goes double for me being three hours behind. But, yeah. Definitely looking forward to that in a couple weeks uh, down in uh, South Carolina. We have a 4 o'clock kick for the Vanderbilt game which I'll be at so Ooh. that'll be uh, that'll be something that will be something I'm not sure what that something is but I don't know I don't either if I knew <laughs> I would tell you uh, I'm I'm intrigued and worried go doors <laughs> oh I, I can't I can't be uh... although I don't know admittedly I, I you know the enemy of my enemy is my friend so, so I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna root for a tie fair enough um, of, we can't have a tie but that's fine I, I know <laughs> Believe me, Dan, I do write about college football. I swear. <laughs> I mean, if anyone put it, we will must champ. So. <laughs> He'll will it into existence, literally. Uh, all right. That was Dan. I'm John. Thank you, everybody, for listening to Train Noons and Absolute Podcast. You can rate, review, subscribe on iTunes, on Blog Talk, and go Orange. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once-a-year occasion. 
And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once-a-year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted.